it's spirit over self. And it's, uh, that one's deep. So we're getting deep this morning on our four-year. We're going to party, but hey, we got to put in a little bit of work before we party. So, so get ready, get ready. It's going to be good. Uh, the scripture this morning is Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Pull that up real quick. Once I get Andrew back there, it might. It might or might not pop up. We'll see what happens. We'll see. But if not, I'm going to read it to you guys. So. so then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit and God's sons, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be, so that we may also be glorified with him. Before we get in, let me pray for us. God, on this exciting day, we know one day doesn't really, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know, sometimes feels like it means a lot, sometimes it feels like it means very little. But right now, here in this moment, we need you to, to speak to us. We need you to do the work that only you can do. God, we need you to keep us focused and keep going. God, we need you to give us energy. We need you to give us power when we feel weak. God, speak to us. And for those who are playing hurt, so to speak, in the room right now or online. Would you comfort them? Would you let them know that they are not alone, that they are loved right here in this moment, not because of what they can do or who they can become, but because you love them as they are your sons and they are your daughters. Thank you that you have proved that in Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Families have all sets and all kinds of rules. What you're going to eat as a family and what you won't eat. What will you watch and maybe like what you won't because it's just dull or off limits. You know, what's safe to talk about and what subjects should never be brought up. Whom we invite over to the house and whom doesn't get an invitation. In some cases, family rules can be helpful. For example, families can adopt biblical rules like not letting the sun go down on your anger or being kind to one another or uh, praying uh, for your enemies and those who persecute you uh, by name and in specific situations. But not all family rules are worth retaining. Some family rules, written or unwritten, can devastate a family. Like words cast in steel, a destructive family rule can hammer away 
out of family, from a parent to a son or a daughter, until someone breaks those painful patterns. And sometimes in reflecting about spiritual heritage and life and thinking about the formation of a new church, there's some things that as a church we have to be very particular about. And saying, hey, we're, we're going to affirm this family lifestyle and, and rule and say this needs to be expressed in healthy ways. And other times we need to say we have to break this cycle. A question was posed to me recently in an interview about just the journey of generations as a whole. And the question was, how did you decide what type of church you wanted to start? So some context is around this was kind of some questions about denomination and doctrine and strategy and really our ethos about like, how did this type of thing emerge? I went on to answer that question and I want to share some of that answer this morning. How did this thing like come into being and like why some of the expressions that we do? And I hope you've heard some of that uh, shared and expressed in your journey with us through this series. And um, I'd encourage you to go back and watch some of those other teachings as we've talked about our different values because that I hope you get a glimpse into to some of the, the family, I guess, rules or dynamics. And not really rules in the sense of um, rigid, but in the sense of type of values to help us drive a particular type of action to set a tone. But I got to say that when that question was asked of me, since it was asked of me, it has haunted me for weeks. There were days when I wasn't in a great headspace because of how consuming it was. I like to tell you I have a nice resolution and a nice three-point teaching with great introspection and action plan to keep it going. To say, yeah, we're doing great, let's keep going, like A plus across the board. But as I reflected on that question... And the different nuances of just, and I, I don't think the person who asked me the question had any particular wording in mind, but there was some phrasing within it that just ate me up. Two aspects of this question, which clearly has been overthought at this point, is that type of church, and you decided... Jesus is building a family. He's creating a family. Right here, right now. He has for all time with the, the life, death, and resurrection of himself and welcomes all to that family through their faith and trust and to be baptized into him and say, you can experience that adoption. In fact, if, if because of all, just some of the baggage sometimes of of words that can come around religion and church and how and, and what that might mean and how that might look. And I, I just want to say here and now that the, the core essence, what God wants to say to you is, I love you and I am with you. Don't be afraid and you can come home for whatever reason. When we journey with things of faith because of our background, 
whether we're religious or spiritual or whether we've kept things at a distance, those four sentences are true for you. That God loves you, that you're not alone. That you can come home. And that you don't have to be afraid. Because he is with you. See, I think in my heart of hearts. I would have not have believed that those statements to be true. Many years ago. But as I have journeyed with Jesus. And he has proved those statements to be true. I want more and more people to experience that reality. I want to sit at a dinner table with the unexpected people in God's family. The people that, for whatever reason, on all levels, think they're not worthy to be there, or even the people who think they deserve to be there and uh, everything in between. But because of Jesus, he builds that family. And so for generations, I knew there were some things that I just didn't want to be because I thought they would act as barriers for people who were welcome and wanted at that table, who could come home to a warm meal and to a family to say, how was your day? And if they said, man, it sucked, that's okay. Still love you. I'm going to lock arms with you. I'll weep with you. I'll rejoice with you when it is well. There's some things that I know we didn't want to be. That I didn't want to be a church built on the charisma and skill of a pastor where he and the staff team were the center. I didn't want to be a church so busy in ministry activity that we missed Jesus and people. That it was more about the show and what we could do than who God was inviting us to be and the story that was being played out in the unique lives of every individual who both sit here on Sunday morning, who engage, who serve, and for those people whom we connect with throughout the week. That the church, I don't want to be a church functioning as a business to grow in brand and just build things around of a Sunday morning experience. That Sunday wasn't going to be the end-all, be-all because life was lived more often than not, many hours outside of two hours on a Sunday morning. And if Jesus was going to be at the work in my life, then clearly he was going to be in work in the lives of others, and it just wasn't going to happen here. And so a church needed to be more about the service, but really know that after a tough and weary and maybe sometimes difficult week, or maybe even a good week that People could come together to gather, to rest, to refresh, and then know that they could be supported and sent to offer that to others. I don't want to be a church where the Bible was used on stage but not in the home. Or a church that divided over secondary issues at the expense of God's mission. Or be a church disconnected from the community. And as you all know, that sometimes when you say, I don't want to be that, 
Sometimes because your eyes are so fixed on not being that, that that's ultimately what you then become. And so for generations, while I am excited to celebrate four years and marvel at God's faithfulness and celebrate the answered prayers and point back to that and be motivated and inspired by that, but the, to, to fully also realize that the work is not done. That the aspirational of who I want us to be, and I think fully who God is inviting us and calling us to be over the long haul, to be a church with the generations to come, knowing the name of the Lord and what he has done in mind, that we cannot simply settle and sit back, but recognize and be motivated by God's love. And so this is the type of church that I hope that we will continue to seek to be. Not because Kyle says so. But as John and Gabe were up here saying, and Charles says up here, and others say, like, like we, the people, are the church. Generations, aside for a second, is not an organization proper. Like, you don't consume generations as an organization. Generations is a people. The people of God baptized into him, responding. And we find that locally expressed here. So I hope we be on mission of expanding God's family relationally with that future in mind. That we be a people that experience the love of the Father, embody the life of the Son, and, let, and led by the Spirit here and now. A people which eliminate unnecessary programs and expressions that create barriers for people so that we can create space for people to be, to ask their questions, to seek, to find love, to experience and find truth. A people with a value system that brings about daily action inwardly and outwardly. To be a people that always remember we're people first. A family. That the people sitting here that we encounter, I know sometimes we get a little healthy pressure as Richard and Andrew joked, but at the end of the day, people aren't religious patrons coming to pay their tithes and offering to get a great product. No, we are people first, loved by God on a journey who sometimes find themselves alone and afraid. And we want to be a place. We want to be a people who embody the love and the care of Jesus and say, come home. You are loved and not alone. And I fully realize that's aspirational. That while I say that and share that, there are moments and times where we will not live up to that reality. Where we will cause hurt and pain unnecessarily, and despite our best intentions, we will fall short. And that's where the grace of God has to come in. That we recognize, even amongst ourselves, that it's the Spirit that's going to have to change us. That it's the spirit that's going to have to do the work in our heart and in our mind to bring about the change. Maybe that we so desperately want for ourselves, 
for our loved ones or for our church or for our community. And to do that well, like we have to allow the Spirit to push back on sometimes deep-rooted patterns that have been woven into our brain and into our lives. I, I've been watching some YouTube videos with, a, with, with my kids. One's called um, like the Outdoor Boys, and he like built this whole trail off-road into this, this um, basically this uninhabited like land in Alaska. And he was like, and he had to run all these trucks through this, this mud, this muck, and this mire. And, and what he kept saying, he's like, if I don't build this path well, if the trucks keep wearing down, if I don't do something different, then everything is going to get stuck and stall. And for us, sometimes we've, we've worn such deep patterns, roots in our, our lives that are unhealthy that we've stuck, we've become stuck and we've stalled in our spiritual life. And what was amazing in some of those videos is that the only thing that could pull those trucks out, the only thing that could do something different was another truck, was one that was more equipped and skilled. So sometimes what we need here is to remember that we aren't alone, to lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ who have the Holy Spirit with them, who have different experience, so that when we can say, I'm stuck in a rut. Or maybe it's the old commercial, help I'm falling and I can't get up. <laughs> that we can just verbalize that and allow someone else to help us up when we've fallen down. To help us through the rut that maybe we're stuck in. And this is going to push back on ourselves and even some habits that we've developed because of the world and the culture that we live in. This is why maybe I've sa saved this value for last. See, for me, spirit over self wasn't just like the first value or the top. Like it just kept always, it just kept rising to the top because everything sometimes within me screams disconnect from people, ignore difficulty, protect self at all costs, seek pleasure and significance, do the types of things to get the attaboys well done, Kyle, like you're a great pastor, you're building a great church. Man, and that's very tempting from my seat. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know that for spirit over self, it starts to push back sometimes on the things we crave most, the saviors that we think will provide a rescue, but ultimately just create deeper pathways and get us stuck. Spirit over self as we put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own as we daily depend on him while we live, work, and play. We have a propensity to depend on ourselves and only ourselves. And sometimes because when we've tried to depend on others, they've let us down or they've messed it up. And we wonder, can we trust? Can we forgive? Should I extend myself in that way again? I think one of the reasons that question, how did you decide what type of church you wanted to start, haunts me 
is because I don't want the church that Kyle wants. I don't want to make decisions based on Kyle's limited perspective. I want the Spirit to lead us. I want us collectively to depend on God's Spirit to speak up, to stretch, to remove, to respond. See, even when we don't know what to do or how to do it, that collectively together we can groan or babble as this text says, Abba, Father, give us direction, give us wisdom. Romans 8.12 says this, So then, brothers we are and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When Paul writes this, it comes really in this robust letter, like of deep like theology to this church in Rome. I just love how he lays it out throughout the letter. But here at the core, the crux of the letter, and really what he builds to and what flows out of it, are two contrasting ways of being spiritually guided. And I just want to say, we don't have to choose the one that leads to death. The one that leads to death is trusting self above all. Paul likens this to a kind of slavery, which always leads to fear and ultimately death. It's the, if I always let my perspective rule my life and my day, while we may think it's best, it ultimately always crushes. And it leads to a kind of spiritual eternal death that will ultimately always crush. There's a quote that says, the Intelligence is the ability to learn from your mistakes, but wisdom is the ability to learn from the mistakes of others. The Christian, the follower of Jesus, who grows in holiness and defeats sin, only they only do that following the Spirit's leading and depending on the Spirit's empowering. You don't have to learn life's crushing blow because you've got to kind of stumble your way through it or the school of hard knocks. While some have learned that way and can tell you stories of going through life in that way, I know in most of those cases they would wish for the people that come behind them to not have to go through what they went through to discover what they ultimately discovered, which is leaning and fall on the Spirit and following the Spirit's leading is the most empowering and liberating thing that they've ever experienced. That trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross and the hope of the resurrection is the best news and the best story that one could orient their whole life around. And without such truth, without such reality, the future is always uncertain and always overwhelming. Because we live 
and fear. And rather than live in fear, we can be absorbed and really adopted into another family. That is that second spiritual perspective. To the one who cries, Abba, Father, there is security found when you are in the family of God. Thinking about some of the training that I've done recently at my work with training some of the other just hires that I work with. They always ask a question in the middle of solving a problem. They ask, how will I come to know this is what I should do? Kyle, how will I come to know? And I think if we're honest, sometimes we wonder, how will I know this will work? How do I know that I am loved? How do I know that I'm adopted? How do I know that I don't have to be afraid? How do I know that I can come home? And it's only known through the perfect love of the Father expressed by a church who makes the love of Jesus the center of everything, who seeks to have that lived out, to, who can daily depend on Jesus for everything, for our source of identity and for our motivation. And other people will come to know we are following the God of the Bible by our love because his love will be made manifest in us. And we will be able to put to test every day our willingness to allow his love and his truth to guide us, to kill sin and follow Jesus. And what's amazing is what Paul writes here in this passage is that these followers of Jesus in Rome will come to know by the double witness of the Spirit. That the Spirit and their spirit will testify to the Father. See, it's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens when we're baptized into him that says, you are not alone because I am here with you. And from that knowledge, from that reality, we come to know because our own story of life is being, and life is being changed. And together with the change in our life, our spirit being moved to respond, to, to love, and to seek truth, and to learn, or maybe even want to depend on him. Some of you are like, God, I, I want to be better. I want to do more. I want to know that really. The fact that you want to even know that or do that is proof and testify of God's work and God's grace in your life. And when that reality mixed with the Spirit testifying, you can cry out and know that you are in His forever family. It's when we see a table with Jesus and He gestures over to us. And the thought is maybe, maybe I don't go because of the people who are sitting there. As we perceive their actions in life, maybe we think they're too good, they're too polished, their life's too perfect. So there's no way that's me that I could sit at that table with Jesus. Maybe you think that you're worthless or you're, maybe you think that they're too bad or they're too good. There's no way that that table is right. 
It's when we recognize that the gesture of Jesus to come over and sit down, to take a load off, and to let him carry with you and say that you are welcome and wanted, not just at maybe some metaphorical temporary table, but there's going to be a feast for all eternity with God's forever family that just spans. And he wants you at that table. And so spirit over self is helping us depend on him more and more, putting his purposes and priorities first so that we believe Jesus when he says, come over and sit down. You're in my family and no one can separate you from my love. And what's amazing is the way that Paul builds on this ultimately comes in Romans chapter 12. I'll read this in verse 3. He says, For the, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he think he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And he goes into talking about all the different parts of the body as a metaphor for the church. And then a little bit later on, he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who, who, who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible, on your part. Live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. But if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing, so, for so in doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. The only way this type of action gets manifested within our world and within your life is if his love, if his way becomes greater in your life and your perspective, defining right and wrong in your own eyes becomes less. And we do that together. When the question was asked, what and I considered my answer, I thought back to the, how the name generations came into being. And one of those things where as Ruth and I would meet with people and as we talk, daily interactions we would hear, it seemed like when we were investigating where to plant, what to start, how this was going to look. And not just do it because we wanted to do it this way, but allow this to be emerge from the community of people who are following Jesus together. As one of the refrains that, or questions that we kept getting asked or wondering was, where are you, God? Where is he? 
when I look out and as I think of my own story and I wonder and I contemplate. And it's amazing because there was actually a psalm that I stumbled onto in the midst of those conversations over time that asked that same question. And that psalm was Psalm 22. And that question gets asked like this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or have you forgotten about me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Where are you, God? And my hope was not in my ability to create a church. But the reality that God was going to build a family a people that together would follow Jesus to the best of their ability in this place, in this time, in this community. So that at the end of Psalm 22, we could share these words. Andrew, go ahead and put those last Psalm 22 verses up there. At the end of Psalm 22, last couple verses, should be verse 20, 29, or 25. Go ahead and start with 25. That could say this, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations and all who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down those who go down to the dust will kneel before him even the one who cannot preserve his life their descendants will serve him the next generation will be told about the lord they will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born they will declare what he has done Oh, great work has been started, but a great work here in this community has yet to be finished, to tell the next generation, to, to, to live in a way where we increasingly depend on God so that the next generation, so that the people even around us right now come to know the name of the Lord and what he has done. And that only happens as we daily depend on him, where we live, work, and play. And so the band's going to come up, and we're actually going to do one more song. And we're going to play, they're going to play, and I know this is getting kind of out of the norm. And what I think is so amazing about here in this moment is you're going to get an opportunity to just respond to maybe continue to just sit and soak in the words and the truth that might come. Or maybe in another way, maybe this is your chance to shout, to sing, to thank God that when, he, when you ask the question, where are you, God? Why do you feel so far? My hope is a part of that answer is that you feel him draw near to you. Or maybe because you've encountered a church that tries to make the name of God known in your life and support you on that journey. 
four years, huh? I hope we're around for 400 more. But not because of the work that we're able to do, but because of Jesus and who he is and what he has done.